Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the show based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guides. This is an ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby. Well, Stu, we've got a a very special guest uh, ducking in. to the studio, uh, a voice that a few of our regular um, long-time listeners haven't heard for a while. It is Mr. DJ DJ Payne. It's great to have you in. Uh, It's lovely to be here. Thanks for visiting. uh, I just want to thank you for turning on the beautiful weather. Sunny Victoria. Yeah, yeah, that's right. (laughs) It was nice. The day before yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> tell us, tell us what you're doing. Uh, well, listen, since uh, since uh, last time we talked, yeah. which was a while ago now, uh, I've I've had an amazing uh, job offer, ministry opportunity, to go to Vision Christian Radio. Yeah. Like, so tell us what you're doing. So you're doing. The so I do the, I do the breakfast show uh, from uh, you know Eastern time, I, and this is the weird thing about yeah, yeah. being being a national thing. Uh, I've now learned t- how to tell the time all across Australia. Yeah. Uh, so from 4 a.m. in the West, uh, 5.30 in Central, and 6 a.m. Uh, in, in the East, in Australia, uh, I'm on for a few hours every morning, Monday to Friday, yeah. and uh, do some other projects you know, around, around Vision as well. But uh, it's an amazing ministry. The, the, the mission, the mantra of Vision that I know – is is so akin to what you know what I, I still want to say we at Thrive mm. uh, what Thrive Thrive's all about is helping every Australian look to God daily. Mm. That's what we do at Vision, That's and uh, I'm the dancing monkey who does the breakfast uh, show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, great to have you in. Uh, great to have you in. Hey, DJ. Thanks so much Pleasure. for the opportunity. Yeah. Love you guys and uh, love the Thrive community yeah. there. So thanks, DJ. Uh, welcome listeners, this is Thrive Deeper, and uh, we've been journeying through the book of Ezekiel, and Matt, uh, this week we're actually going to get to a bit of a pivotal point. It's a very pivotal point, in, yes. Uh, in Ezekiel's prophecies, as we continue mm. from uh, chapter 33, and we'll, we'll work our way towards the end of chapter 39. A couple of big things here, there's a, there's a sense of, uh, in a sense, a confirmation of Ezekiel's call as a prophet, uh, reminding him of his role, I, I guess, and what God's uh, expecting of him. And then we move into the passage around Edom, and then, of course, into the Dry Bones passage, which is probably one of the best-known chapters of the book of Ezekiel for, for many people. Mm. But first of all, chapter 33, uh, Matt, and we have we have uh, a sense of God reminding Ezekiel of his role as yeah. the watchman over Israel. Yeah, that's right. So this new stage is precipitated by the news of the fall of Jerusalem, the final fall of Jerusalem uh, under the Babylonians. So this is 586 BC. The Babylonians managed to break through the wall. They completely, they destroyed the city, pulled down the walls, destroyed the temple, and the remaining people are taken in exile. Now you remember there was some people left and there's a, you know, there was a further rebellion after that when Gedaliah was the governor. But this final stroke and this actually precipitates a change now in Ezekiel's ministry so everything has been leading up to this point even though they're not in Jerusalem they're in Babylon but Mm. there was still this thought that maybe uh, you know international events Egypt would be such would that, help them. Yep. Yeah, that, that they would be saved and they'd be able to go back home and, and everything would be fine yeah. well that wasn't to be the case and so actually down in in Verse twenty one, uh, it says in the in the this is of chapter thirty three. Yes. In the twelfth year of our exile, in the tenth month, on the fifth day, a man who had escaped from Jerusalem came to me and said, "The city has fallen." 
And that's five and, months after it probably took place, if yeah, you do the math. Yeah, so yeah, this is how long it took for the news to actually yeah, that's get right. back to, to Ezekiel. Yeah, that's right. And so, and it, then it says here, um, now the evening before the man arrived, the hand of the Lord was mm, on me yeah. and he opened my mouth uh, before the man came to me in the morning. So my mouth was open and I was no longer silent. So remember, you know, he was, uh, he was silenced in a sense. So he's doing these prophetic actions yes. and, and then- uh, occasionally his mouth was opened. Only to, to repeat what God had said to him to, to say. Yeah, purely to repeat what God had said, but otherwise he was mute. That's right. You know? yeah. Whereas now he's, his mouth is opened, mm-hmm. uh, and, and actually the night uh, before this. So, so this is where we – and it's interesting, actually. You'd think that chapter 33, this renewed call narrative would begin with that, but this is actually put in the middle of that section. Yes. Often, yeah. You know, and again, with uh, ancient Hebrew literature, the most important thing was often put in the middle, not at the start oh, right. or the end. Okay. I thought it might have been, you know, just because I was thinking the same thing. I'm going, how come that's there? I was, I was thinking maybe God wanted to remind Ezekiel before he could speak of what his actual role was as a watchman for Israel. Yeah. So this whole sense of this is this is what's important uh, and I'm going to hold you accountable if you don't do this and I'm going to hold you not accountable if you yeah. do this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean – Absolutely. I mean, it could. It, it it it's that as well. Yeah. The the fact that the chapter opens with another call narrative yeah. indicates that this is now there's something new. There's this a is switch. a new stage yeah. in Ezekiel's ministry, and and that's really what this is about. It's about the responsibility on Ezekiel as as the prophet of the Lord. Now, um, but it's also saying that he has re- fulfilled that responsibility, so that th- that the blood of right. his people is not, not on, on him. him. Yeah. So, you know, this is not trying to threaten Ezekiel by saying, no. listen, if you don't do this, then their blood is is on your is on your hands. This is saying actually uh exempting Ezekiel from you know, from any I guess blame, you know, saying, Listen, you've done your part. Yeah. This is really sad news, but their their blood is on their head. You haven't prophesied this into existence. Yes. Uh, you've right. been you've been the the one that's warned them yeah, and, good and their blood is on their head. And of course so. this had already happened anyway, so it's like, yeah. you know, that the, the, the destruction of Jerusalem had already taken place. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that that's the key thing with uh with, with chapter thirty three and um we've just got to be careful in the application of this too, Stu. I, I and I think I've mentioned this uh, before. Back early in my early Christian days, heard this preached on, for you know, for Christians saying, you know, if you don't tell people about Jesus, then their blood is on your hands. And I, it, it just, it's not the right application. That's of great. This, it, this is because I was going to ask you exactly that. Yeah. Because I feel there would be there would be. Potential for people to interpret it that way and go, my goodness, if I don't, uh, then their blood's on my hands. Yeah, so that's I right. It's great I mean, that you've raised m- that. Metaphors, the way that metaphors are used in prophetic literature is very specific. So it's to make a very specific point, and it's important not to over-apply that. So this that metaphor, the, the watchman metaphor, is part of Ezekiel's call. Uh, it's part of the, the pivot point as well. He's saying, right, this has happened. You have been faithful. Um, yeah. And- and you know, they're, they're, as I said, you know, their blood isn't is not on your it's not on your hands. So he he's it's he's not putting, um, you know, he's not loading any kind of brain. Ezekiel up with a guilt trip. Yeah. He's actually trying to he's, he's taking it off. off. Yeah, yep. that's right. No, so, that's great. Um, I think that's important. So um, yeah, so that's the essence of chapter thirty three. The essence of chapter thirty three, mm. and um, uh, it's interesting in. Chapter twenty three, 
you get this sense that there's even then still these murmurings of of rebellion. We chapter can, 23? Uh, sorry, not verse 23 of verse chapter 23. 33. Yeah, 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 sorry. Sorry to be confusing, folks. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, then the word of the Lord came to me, it says, verse mm. 24, son of man, the people living in those ruins in the land of Israel are saying, mm. Abraham was only one man, yet he possessed the land, but we are many. Surely the land has been given to us as our possession. So even then... The, still- the, the the stragglers among the ruins, they're still, you know, they've still got this ambition to, to rebel and thinking, yeah. surely, we, they're just not getting the message. They just haven't, it, this hasn't got through. Yeah. So it's interesting that, and, and of course, as we know, there was that one rebellion. stroke uh, of, yeah. of rebellion when yeah. Gedaliah and others were killed and yeah. that was sort of still happening. So it just shows how really deluded uh, they were at this point. But what we see here, and, w- and the wonderful thing about from here on, Stuart, I know there's been some fairly dark stuff in the book of Ezekiel, and remember we did the yes. book of you know, Jeremiah <laughs> before that. Before that. <laughs> so there's, there's been- And Isaiah. Right yeah, there, there's been plenty of, uh, plenty of darker stuff. I mean, there's been wonderful rays of light yes, in between that. But here, actually, we get, we get some wonderful prophecies of hope. This is, a, this is a very important change in the book of Ezekiel now, where, where you get this switch and, uh, and some remarkable prophecies yes. uh, here. Actually, in verse uh, in chapter thirty-four, I yep. should say, this is chapter thirty-four. Really, is the gospel according to yes. Ezekiel? Yeah. You know, it's um, amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's. I mean, he talks about in verses one to ten. You know, he he talks about the failure of the kings of Judah. Now, there's some exceptions, of course. We yeah. know yeah. that you know Hezekiah and Josiah and um, Jehoshaphat uh, and others were really good uh, good kings, but on the whole. You know, he's taking broad brushstrokes, yeah. broad brushstroke approach to the history of the kings of Judah and pointing out their failures because essentially what's happened is there's been this removal of a corrupt monarchy. And so that's a kind of cleansing. It's a making way for something new. And Ezekiel now is going to focus on the new thing. Yes. You know, a new kind of monarchy, a new. Yeah. Uh, and so. What has just happened, the disaster is depicted almost as a kind of cleansing, mm. um, but a, a cleansing to make way for something that's new. So, um, you know, it's interesting here uh, in this, and, and I'm still talking about verses 1 to 10 of chapter 34, you know, that God, in a sense, held his shepherds accountable for the straying of the flock. Yes. Uh, this uh, That was just a, something uh, interesting I, I noted there, you know, as he's talking about the monarchy of, of Judah, mm. that he holds, you know, he, th- th- that position of responsibility was an important position of responsibility. Yeah. And, and, and God holds them responsible for the straying uh, of their people in a very real sense, which is why he's, in a sense, cutting, he cut off that, uh, that, Branch. that monarchy. Yeah. Because, you know, the, the promise to, uh, you know, David, was in some sense conditional. You know, if they walk with me, this is, you know, I will establish an everlasting dynasty. Now, um, what we're going to see in the prophecies from here on is that God is going to reestablish the Davidic dynasty, but there's going to be a break. It's going to be a cut. And of course, as we know that, it it only really gets established Mm -hmm. uh, with the coming of Christ. Yes. Uh, Because pretty much from here on, this is the end of the Davidic dynasty. Mm. And in in the ultimate sense, the promise to David of an everlasting kingdom and and one of his descendants on the throne, on his throne, is not fulfilled. Yeah. It remains unfulfilled uh, apart from 
of course, the, the, the fulfillment in Christ. Christ and so, yeah. and um, this is pointing forward yeah. to that right now. At this point, that's right. You know, yeah. Really clearly, that's yep. right. So, uh, from verse eleven, you know, God says that He Himself, given the failure of, and this is the interesting pivot here, and this is where you get the gospel according to Ezekiel, yeah. because He points out, okay, this monarchy is fa- a human monarchy has failed. That's not going to work. Mm. Okay, mm. so what? So then God says, so I myself am going to be the shepherd. come and be the shepherd, you yeah. know, and of course, you know, think about, uh, you know, Luke 15, yes. the shepherd leaving the 99 and gathering the, the ones, yep. uh, John chapter 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. This is essentially describing uh, a move from a kind of tyrannous human monarchy mm. to theocracy, essentially. Yes. This is going to yep. be the change. God is pointing towards something that looks much more like theocracy. And so that's interesting because in down in verse 23, he says, I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. Mm. I will place over them one shepherd, mm. my servant David. So it's interesting because God says, I myself yes. uh, am going to shepherd my people. So uh, that's up in verse 15 yep. of chapter 34. Yep. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, uh, declares the Lord. I will search for the lost sheep and bring back the strays. Think of Jesus in yeah. what Jesus says in Luke, Luke 15 about bringing back the lost sheep. I will bind up the injured and and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I, I, will, shepherd, I will shepherd the flock with justice. And the emphasis there is on I. I will do that. My my human shepherds have failed. Right. I'm, and so but then down in verse 23, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David. Yes. Now you think, what is, hang on, is David going to be res- you know, yeah. like yeah. Uh, br- brought back? And no, of course, he's, I mean, the, the only sort of sensical fulfillment of this is that God himself uh, is incarnate in this shepherd. Yes. Uh, who, of course, is, is Christ. Yeah. Um, so uh, he will tend them and he will uh, he will tend them and be their shepherd uh, i the lord will be their god and my servant david will be prince among them i the lord have spoken, spoken. Yeah. that's a remarkable oh, messianic prophecy uh, yeah. right there incredible and the reality is here that you've got ezekiel who couldn't imagine how this is going to happen yeah. but he's just speaking what god has told him yeah that's you know. right one of the things that you see repeated at, through here is this constant statement, I will be their God and they will be, be my, my people. people. Mm. Uh, so, you know, down in verse 30 of chapter 34, then uh, then they will know that I, the Lord, the, uh, their God, am with them and that they, the Israelites, are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord. So you get these these. That repeated statement, yes. I will be your God and you will be my people, which, of course, we see later in, later in Revelation, in the book of Revelation. Yeah. And at the, but it's all the way through this. Interesting transition, though, in verse 35, be, yes. because it's it seems like uh, you should jump from that to chapter 36, which is all about the gathering in, yeah. uh, the restoration, the gathering of the exiles yep. and, uh, you know, J- Jerusalem being populated and all of this sort of stuff. You'd think you'd jump to that, but instead it jumps into this prophecy uh, against Edom. Yeah. Uh, just a reminder of the Edomites. Descendants, are descendants of Esau. Of Esau. Yep. Okay. Elder and, brother of Jacob or twin brother of that's Jacob, right. sorry. And so going back to the stories, of, you know, about Jacob and Esau and the mm. tension between the two mm. brothers. Mm. And and that 
that story, the int- I mean, the interesting thing about the stories in Genesis is they're microcosms of a bigger story in a sense. Yeah. You know, the story of Joseph really is the story of Israel. The story of Joseph yes. really happened. Yes. But, you know, Joseph's life becomes a prophetic picture, picture. of yep. the story of Israel. And actually, the story of Israel, I should say too, is really a prophetic picture for us yes. of of the Christian life in, yeah. in, in a sense. Yeah. So this is why this is all so relevant yeah. uh, for us. Yeah. And so in that story of Jacob and Esau and the tension between the brothers and the, you know, both the tension and the restoration, mm. it's a very important prophetic picture. What we have here in this prophecy against Edom is a kind of comparison. Uh, so uh, there's this sense, this distinction between those who vie against God yes. and those who are with God, yep. you know, those. Because the Edomites often acted really as the enemy of Israel. I mean, even right. even at the point of the refusal to let them pass through their territory during the Exodus, yeah. th- th- right back then, <clears throat> that's right. the Edomites wouldn't let them go that way. And so they had to go another way. And, and further on, they've constantly been one siding with anyone other than Israel. Yeah, reality. that's right. And so, so Edom do become the sort of quintessential enemy. enemy and, yes. and, you know, and I suppose this is part of what's prophesied in the stories of Jacob and Esau is this tension between the two. Yeah. Now, you know, there's a, there's a reconciliation, of course, in that story. And, and, yes. and in a sense, the ingathering of the nations is that's prophesied also here in that's Ezekiel right. yeah. is part of that reconciliation. Yeah. But right, you know, at this point uh, in the, in the prophecy, there, there is this tension. It's almost like Edom, in a sense, stands for the seed of the serpent. You know, the, there's this promise in Genesis 3.15, you know, he will strike your heel yes. and and you will crush his head. And, and so it predicts this, this, this struggle between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And so you've got this prophecy against Edom who have effectively cursed uh, Israel because the Edomites, as it says in Psalm 137, it declares the curse of God upon Edom because when Jerusalem was falling, you know, they declared tear it down. They cried tear it down, tear it down to its foundations. So in cursing Israel and looking to gain from the destruction of Israel, you know, there's this curse sits upon them. So Edom has has been strengthened by the destruction that's just happened. That's right. So they're all saying, oh, this is great, you know. And they're hoping to get some of the territory and some of the spoil that's right. they'd sided with the Babylonians. So there was a sense of our victory as well. That's right. So sense. it looks at this stage like Israel has been destroyed and the traditional enemy, Edom, is raised up yeah. and, and, and everything's looking fine for them. But this is where you get, and, and this is the point, part of the point of this, I think, is that there's a point of contrast that uh, Ezekiel mate, makes here. And he uses the distinction between, he talks about the Mount Seir and Mount Zion, mm. the mountains of Israel and the mountains of Edom. Mm. And whereas the Mount Seir is, you know, prospering and, you know, inhabited and Jerusalem is desolate. Yes. He's saying, okay, be- you are inhabited. Yep. This is this is essentially the, the gist of what happens in 35 and 36. He's saying, yes, you are inhabited now and things are looking good, but you will become desolate. Yes. And then he says of, of the mountains of Jerusalem, you, you are desolate, first- but you will be inhabited. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's going, yeah. All of this is going to be reversed. That's the point of this. Now- Interesting thing about this, Stu, is that if you go to both of these places today, that's right. The mountains of uh, Mount Seir, which the most famous section of that uh, is um, Petra, 
is Petra. Mm. And he's, he literally says here, verse 7, I will make Mount Sarah desolate waste and cut off from it all who come and go. I will fill your mountains with the slain. Now, Petra, of course, right in the midst of the mountains of what was traditionally the land of Edom, mm. is actually this enormous city of tombs, mm. which is what's so remarkable about yeah. it today. You walk yeah. in and it's this completely desolate place. It used to be rich with water and 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 very habitable, but now it's completely dry. And except when it rains, of course they yes. have floods and whatever. Yeah, but yeah. but but on the whole, it's it's this, a completely desert place, right. and it's yeah. a city of tombs. Yeah, it's quite a haunting place to visit in in some ways for this. And whenever when and I've been there a couple of times, I always think of this because mm. as I'm walking through this, in, and it's enormous complex right. of tombs all cut into the mountains all over the place, mm. like it's. It's it's a sort of tragic grandeur to uh, to that whole region of Petra, and I think of this the desolation because this was a this was a region where there was you know something like thirty thousand people yeah, thriving living you know yeah. uh, in uh, you know around the, the third century mm. uh, sorry um, well up until the third, third century, century AD actually <laughs> there was uh, but then it just becomes completely you know this completely desolate place and yet you know you go to Jerusalem today and. Well, I mean, the nations are fighting over Jerusalem, yeah, yeah. but but it's a it's a centre of you know, there's so much activity. Yeah, and, and one of the biggest, one of the largest agricultural producers in the world. Yeah, that's in right. In terms of exporting fruit and veggies and you know agricultural yeah. produce, you know, from a land that was dry and desolate. Yeah, you know, that's the, right. It's, yeah, it's phenomenal. Uh, it yeah. is. It is absolutely phenomenal. Mm. Um, so this comparison, this prophetic comparison, you know, I mean, we can see that today. Yeah. This is the thing about these prophecies is you do, yeah, that's th- right. they, ha- they are fulfilled and being fulfilled and we can see those fulfillments uh, unfolding today in really, I may say, unlikely ways. Yeah. The, the security of the kingdom of Edom and even the region of Petra, you would have thought that would have endured mm. Forever, you yeah. know, yep. uh, or but, Egypt, or I mean, look at yeah. any of these things, you know, or even even the get, regathering of the nation of Israel, you know, <laughs> after the Second World War, yeah. seemed like how is that even going to yeah, happen? Yeah, that's and right. Yet, and yet here we have a now a very powerful, very influential yeah. country, yeah, that's right, uh, in its own right. There, you yeah, know, yeah. so much of that. But but I guess there's a bit of a warning for us in that as well, yeah. is that we can ignore. A bit like these people did the prophecies of Elijah and, and even before that, Jeremiah, yeah. all these things happening is like, oh, nah, nah, nah. Yeah. When we think about what God's promised for the future as well, yeah, and we right. can tend to ignore the fact that all of these things have happened yeah. and somehow discount that God is yeah, trustworthy right. and faithful going forward yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, that's right. It's amazing stuff, Stu. Yeah. Um, interestingly, in moving into chapter 36, 36. now, mm. um, if we look down in verse 20 uh, and following, you know, God says to his people, he talks about his concern for his holy name. Yeah. This sounds negative at first because he, he says to his people, I, it's not for your sake that I'm doing this, by the way. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, what he yeah. means by that, it's not because you warranted this mm. or I'm actually doing this. And as he says throughout the book of Ezekiel, so that you would know that I am Yahweh. This yeah. is this is I'm doing this for the glory of my name. So the restoration of his his people, you know, he's saying, you didn't warrant this, so why have I done this? I'm doing this, and it's actually not primarily for your sake. It's so that the nations would know my glory. Yes. Not and, just Israel, but the nations, so the right. world would look on and yeah. see. And, and it's not that he's saying he doesn't love his people no. or, you know, yeah. um, but we've got to remember that Israel were always called to be a prophetic sign to the nations. Yeah. And so- 
what God is, what He's saying to them is that I'm doing this with you because of your role as a prophetic sign to the nations. This is why I'm doing this, mm. and and this is this is important to get this because it shows why it's important to read these histories of the story of Israel because Israel, through, you know, because well, what what is what is this you know this ancient story got to do with us. It's got yeah. everything to do with us because it's all a prophetic message, an embodied prophetic message. Everything that happened in this, the, the biblical story of Israel, it's not just history, it's prophecy. That's yes. the important thing yeah, to, right. to yeah. remember. This is prophetic history. Mm. So Israel are a prophetic sign. And here, this is made explicit. Is you you are going to be a prophetic sign, and I'm going to be glorified through, through you. you. Now, yeah. wh- whether it's through judgment or salvation, I, I am going to be point. known. Yeah, you know, th- they will know yeah. that I, the Lord, am holy, mm. both by my judgment, my, my judgment upon you, but also by my restoration, restoration which is yeah. ultimately, and and we see here that ultimately God shows it's my my heart ultimately is for restoration, restoration. Yeah. and not judgment. This mm. is what this is one of the key things that God wants us to know about himself. So he says, therefore, say to the Israelites, this is verse 22, chapter 36, this is what the sovereign Lord says, it is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone, I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name that you have profaned among them. Now, you know, the commandment, you yep. know, do not, not take, take the Lord, the Lord's name in vain, yeah. is actually concerned with this kind of thing. It's yes. not we, we think of it as about blasphemy, and of course that can be part of it. But the phrase there in that commandment, uh, the third commandment, is very emphatic: "You shall not take upon yourself God's name yeah. in a way that is futile or vain or empty." Yeah, we well, we bear the name of God. We've got to protect the reputation yeah, of God. That's right. Name. And yeah. so, and as Christians, we carry the name of Jesus yeah. as Christians. Yeah. And what we do, it's not we don't we no longer represent ourselves. Yes, we represent right. Jesus. Yeah. Spot on. And uh, and God's saying, I, I'm going to do this in you, whether I, whether it's judgment or salvation. People are. I'm going to be. You are going to be a sign to the you know to the nations. He's yeah. saying to his people uh, at this point. Um. Because and the goal there is. I'll I'll just repeat verse 23. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, that I am Yahweh, Mm. in other words, declares the Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their their eyes. That's the lead in then to this famous moment. Listeners, if you have a Bible or if you you like to underline stuff in your Bible, verses 25 and 26. Yeah. And 27, underline, highlight, memorize. This is a very important moment uh, in the Old Testament, I will say, because this is a very key promise of the new covenant. He says, for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So the idea here, they have failed previously. So the shepherds have failed. So God is going to come and be the Davidic shepherd. God himself is going to, in a sense, incarnate as the Davidic shepherd. Yes. 
then he's going to put his spirit within them. Mm. So he's going to shepherd them in a sense from within. Yes. Uh, it's you know, great. to move them, you know, because a shepherd moves the sheep here and Prodding there. Prodding here and there. That's with, right. With a rod so or he's whatever. saying, yep. I'm going to do that from within. I'm going to put my spirit within you yeah. and shepherd you uh, in that way and otherwise. And then verse 28, then you will live in the land I gave to your ancestors. You will be my people and, and I, I will, will be, be your God. God. There it is. So this is the the promise. Interestingly, Stu, down in verse 31 it's it's the stuff that we may not expect that may jolt us a little bit that I think is is notable. It says here, then you will remember your evil ways and wicked deeds, and you will loathe yourself for your mm. sins and detestable practices. I want you to know, verse 32, that I'm not doing this for your sake, declares the Lord. Be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, people of Israel. Yeah. It's like, hang on. That's so countercultural for us because this is an experience that we would want to avoid. Shame. As a bad thing. Exactly. And, and even culturally in our culture, no, you avoid this experience. Yes. This is, no one should go through this. But actually, the, the answer is not to avoid this experience, to but to go it. through this and come out the other side. Yeah. Like, and, and not, not even in a sense, like there's this sense that as Christians, you know, John says, if we say we are, with, we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We need to remember that our righteousness is something given as a gift, right? Mm. And our joy in salvation comes from our sense of our need for that salvation. So this is talking about really is this humility, this level of humility that makes us ever grateful for God's grace. Yes. You know, it's not like when I, you know, when I look back and I think of all the mistakes and that, that I made and, and then I receive God's forgiveness. It's not like, oh, well, now I'm not um, no, that's right. sad about that anymore. Or yeah. that there's this sense in which my sadness over my brokenness which is exhibited in the mistakes that i've made in the past that actually lead that's actually becomes the fountain of my joy and salvation yeah yeah it, it's it's something that keeps me in that beautiful place of humility resting in humility and also keeps me connected with god's grace mm. and the joy of salvation yeah yeah totally it's, it's the two, it's and this is the interesting thing it's the sadness and the joy together that's so it's this crucial aspect yeah. of Biblical spirituality. And of course, what it cost to redeem you for that yeah. as well feeds into that as well. I, I often use, you know, when I'm talking to people about the sometimes the idea of a lifesaver where you're swimming, swimming outside the flags and someone else risks their life to rescue you. Yeah. You're overjoyed that you're alive, yeah. but you're also remorseful about the fact that you, you ask someone else to risk yeah, their that's life right. because you swam outside yeah, that's right. the flags. That whole balance between those two things. Yeah, that's know? right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and we, that's right. We, we rejoice that Jesus saved us. Yes. But we, you know, we, it's, a grievous thing that mm. that th- this was our sins that caused yeah. um, him to have to, to go that. through yeah. what he went through, yeah. and so this is not saying that we should wallow in shame. No, that's right. Uh, God wants to lift us up out of our shame, but but in a natural sense, that's where we we should be in a sort of natural justice kind yeah. of sense. Yeah. But we're not there, you know, no. and and it's the constant consciousness of this is where we should be but we're not that feeds that that sense of grace and it also feeds our security because i am in grace not because i earned it mm. you know I, I didn't gain access to the grace of god by by earning it on the contrary i earned yeah. i earned the opposite and yeah. so that gives me a sense of security in this yeah. uh, you know it was is nothing that i did that got me here 
So even when I stumble and fall, I stumble and fall in this grace space. And yeah. and, this- and and he's not doing it just so that we can have a good life and, and have that shame lifted off us. Yeah. It's, he's doing it because he wants us to then bring glory to his name. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. This so so this promise, just coming back to the promise of that, you know, this promise of God putting his spirit uh, into us. Yeah. And this is now carried, because it's such an important promise, it then is illustrated in classic prophetic form. It's yeah. illustrated now. Okay. So to mark that prophecy, because you think what he's going to do, what yes. he's going to put a new spirit. And then, cause he just goes on, but he's not leaving that behind because chapter 37 is connected with that promise of the new spirit. Yeah. And let's remember, we read all of this with the benefit of knowing what we know now. Yeah, that's right. This was all like, yeah. what? Yeah, and that's so, right. hence, you know, as you say, the demonstration now of what this means. Yeah, so he has this amazing vision where he, in the spirit, he's brought up in the spirit, mm. uh, in this, this, he has this vision of this valley of dry bones, and uh, he's asked, son of, Mo- son of man, can these bones live? And the bones, of course, uh, are a picture of God's people. Mm. They, they've, this is the Scattered. lowest point. Yeah, yep. this is the lowest point mm. in you know in in a sense in the history of, of Israel. Well, not quite. The, I think probably the lowest point was that point before the cross. Actually, I no. probably call that the lowest point. Okay, but this is this is a dry bones moment that Ezekiel is. In. I mean, they're in exile. They're not even in the land. Mm. The mm. city's in ruins. Uh, there's a dry bones army here. Of course, this is not just about them. This is about something bigger. But um, I love uh, Ezekiel's answer to the question. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Can these dry bones live? Uh, I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. But it's interesting. God then says, prophesy to these bones and say to them. So so God is going to give life to the dry bones by his prophetic word. This is the importance of this moment, Uh, because this is very emphatic. Uh, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you. Now, uh, the the Hebrew word breath is the word ruach, which is the same word as for spirit. Okay. So the the word that's used uh, for uh, spirit Verse 26. It's the word ruach, and then yep. the, the word uh, there for breath is also, is also uh, the word ruach. So just got to keep that in mind. So in other words, he's, it's, he's repeating in Hebrew, I will put spirit or breath yep. in you, in you. Yeah. and you will come to life then. And again, here's the repeated statement. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So notice here, he's saying that the hearing of the word of the Lord is, in a sense, uh, is the thing that that gives life. This is not, see, see, God is not giving us something by putting his spirit into it. This is not a power or a force. This is God himself coming to live with, within uh, our hearts word, in a very relational yeah. way, right? Yeah. So, so in order for us to open ourselves to that relational connection, it's about communication. Hear the word of the Lord. This is mm. the thing. Mm. When you hear the word of the Lord, there's this sense of entering into that relationship. There's a, uh, we we open our hearts to this. That's why uh, this prophesy to them and and prophesy and say, hear the word of the Lord, you dry bones. Yes. And when you hear the word of the Lord, then th- that's when this relational connection with God's spirit begins. Yeah, right. 
That's so great. That's an important point there. And so, so you know, so Ezekiel prophesies, and and there was a rattling sound, and the bones came together. This is all in the vision. And then he said to me again. Uh, there's a repeat of that. Prophesy to the breath, mm. prophet or, or the spirit. Prophesy, mm. son of man, and say, "This is what the sword, the Lord, sovereign Lord says: Come, breath or spirit, mm. from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live." So I prophesied as He commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood in their feet, a vast army. So this is the restoration of the people of God. And then, just to make this explicit, down in verse 14. Uh, he says, uh, I will put my spirit. This is repeats the promise. Uh, so that's what all this has been about. That's it's right. been an illustrate a, a vision that that depicts this outpouring of the spirit. Verse 14, I will put my spirit in you and you will live, he says. And then you will know that I, the, the sovereign Lord, have spoken uh, and done it. The second Half of chapter 37 then comes back. This is all very symmetrical, Stu, because he comes back to the Davidic king thing. Yes. Uh, here. At second End of 37. Half of thir- sorry. Yes. 37. Chapter 15. Uh, verse 15. Uh, chapter Because he says yep. here, um, because remember, one of the problems, uh, of course, is this question, because he keeps talking about the gathering in. That's right. Of, uh, of the exiles. But remember, it's not just the Jewish exiles it's now. The there's, there's the the northern kingdom. kingdom yeah. Now, from what we know, these uh, people of the Northern Kingdom did not exist in any distinct, no. separated form. Un- unlike the Southern Kingdom that were largely taken in the big group to That's one right. place. And they, they remain distinct. Mm-hmm. Now, partly yeah. because of these... Of the ministry of, you know, Ezekiel and Daniel. And, yes. And, and, of course, it's it was, you know, remarkable that there was a people still surviving that hadn't assimilated to actually return yeah. uh, 70 years later. But that's not the case. That wasn't the case with the Northern Kingdom. They had assimilated completely, intermarried. Yes, yeah, you know. Yep. So, in one sense, they the Northern Kingdoms no longer really existed, existed. Yeah. as a separate uh, as a separate people. I mean, there was a hybrid group in the in the north uh, that came known as the Samaritans, and the yes. Jews famously despised the Samaritans because they were such a hybrid group. That yeah. becomes an issue in the post-exile uh, period. Mm. So, so you think. But that still is a problem because that you know there was still a promise of God to these that they were inheritors of the promise of God too. Yes, that's right. This everlasting. And I will promise. gather you all from the nations. Yeah, that's right. So the 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 prophecy here in this uh, essentially and and the title of this section is one nation under one king. Mm. So what he's saying is I'm going to draw even the northern kingdom back and the two that were separated after Solomon's reign under the reign of Jeroboam and Rehoboam, he's saying in verse 17, he says, well, he says to Ezekiel, take a stick and ride on it, Judah and then Israel, like two sticks of wood and then join the sticks together to create one stick. So there's another prophetic action. And so basically he's saying, yeah, verse 17, then verse uh Last part of verse 19, I will make them into a single stick of wood and they will become one in my hand. Uh, And then he goes down verse 22. He says, I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over all of them and they will never again be two nations or be divided into two kingdoms. In verse 24, my servant David will be king over them and they will have one shepherd. So he's repeating that promise of this 
And I would say divine Davidic king will be uh, over them. And then down, and then he says, uh, and David, my servant, will be their prince forever. That's last part of verse 25. Verse 26, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers, and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people then the nations will know that I am the Lord, right? So you've got all of the elements yes, there. Yes, exactly. It's quite, you know, you've got the the promise of the Davidic king. But the interesting thing there is how is it, how can this possibly be fulfilled, Stu, when, you know, yeah. the... the, 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 the 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 ingathering of the northern kingdom, the creation of of the of the one nation, nation. essentially. Well, I would suggest that the only possible way at, at this point that this can be fulfilled, given that the northern kingdoms had assimilated into the yeah. nations, yep. is that this is going to be fulfilled by the gathering in of all of the nations. And of course, this period that this is looking forward to, the outpouring of the spirit and the the unifying of these two kingdoms under one king. Of mm. course, this is this is the period in which we're now living. Yeah, that's right. Jesus announced the kingdom of God. This mm. is the kingdom that Jesus announces. Is at hand. Yeah, the ki- this kingdom of God is at hand. Yeah. Uh, Jesus announced actually in his ministry. And yes. Uh, and so that he was calling all people and through his apostles was calling to the Jew first and then but also to the nations drawing all people under one king by the outpouring of the spirit and of course when the spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 2 you had that sign of them speaking in different languages yes. so they could be understood which is this uh, sign that now the spirit of god is going to spill over all national nations. and linguistic yep. boundaries yep. Uh, and it's and of course the book of acts is all about the ingathering of the of the, of nations. the nations i mean mm. we're still in that period of course aren't we amazing so, isn't it yeah that so that's really the fulfillment of that now speaking of prophesying toward the future when we get to chapter chapters 38 and 39 uh, deals with uh, this last final battle mm. and, and 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 we move as we this move is probably towards, future focus that's right yes so the, the remaining chapters from verse 38 uh, onto chapter 48 of mm. Ezekiel mm. these last 10 chapters they are going to be all focused on a more remote period towards the future mm. and what this describes now is this kind of final great showdown mm. because the question is yes but what about you know those End who are still the yeah. enemies and yeah. and the you know dealing with the evil in the earth and and what about that this is a big concern for uh, for this people and as it always is a big concern and so we have this mysterious imagery of the battle of the nations against Gog who is a person Magog the kingdom it's a mysterious passage cuz uh, who knows who, yeah, they, who are. they are? <laughs> Lots of speculation, but no one yeah, really um, seems to know. Yeah, and look, I, I read a fair bit uh, on this to try and nail something. That's very difficult yeah, yeah. Uh, to nail anything down. But th- there's some sense that Gog could be potentially like a ki- a well-known king or kingdom from the past that is used to define a future threat in a sense. Okay. And, you know, as we might yeah, speak right. of like a new Hitler. Yep. You know what yep. I mean? Yep. Uh, so. So there's some sense this term could evoke, uh, you know, characters from a, a fairly a past that was fairly well known among all peoples. Mm. I won't go into the the details, but yeah, it's it's something like you know a sort of a new Hitler, like a new 
embodiment of evil in a sense. This yes. is what Gog and yeah. Magog stand for, is the sort of an embodiment of sort of ultimate evil. Now, this, of course, comes back in Revelation uh, chapter 19. Uh, well, um, I mean, and previous to that, you get this the reappearance of Gog and, and mm. Magog that comes up in yeah. uh, in the book of Revelation. And so it's actually one uh, commentator has argued that Gog is a kind of cryptogram for Babylon, in, yeah. in a sense. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, it's funny. I was thinking the same thing when I was reading that and trying to wonder who these who this is, and and rather than trying to personify it as in a sense talking about the worldly ways the worldly values the, the powers of the and principalities of the world against god's ordained uh, people it, it's hard to put a i mean there's lots of commentaries about it but it's also mentioned in a number of historical texts as well not just in the bible the whole yeah. gog and magog thing so um yeah, just interesting yeah 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 so, so it, it, it has this it has this idea associated of of a of a threatening evil power, yeah. you know, something that could bear down. A, you know, if you put the bits together, whatever it is, the, the thing that yeah. the possible interpretations of this or possible allusions have in common is this some kind of ancient threat, you know, that, you know, is used to characterize something that's going to happen in the future. And as I said, it's, it's mentioned in the book of Revelation again. And, and I think, you know, I think there is a strong argument for it this time. This becomes a kind of crypt this idea of cryptic allusion to Babylon, particularly because remember th- th- he's in Babylon now. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, you probably got to be careful what you say. Yeah. Uh, no, absolutely. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, but, but then remember this is apocalyptic Babylon because in, re- in the book of revelation, Babylon becomes a symbol of oh, the power yeah. of this world. That's right. And this yeah. is basically the way that Gog and Magog yeah. are being used here. It's the power a, a, of this world. As in, would you say, and let's not get too technical about this, when he talks about the invading invasion of Israel, given we've just talked about Israel now as being this one nation of people from all nations, yeah. essentially, is this really essentially the ultimate battle between good and evil, yeah, between that's God's right. people that's right. yeah. and those who aren't? You know? Yeah, this is this is the ultimate fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. Yep. Uh, you know, he will strike your heel, but you will crush his head. Mm. So we have Gog and Magog striking the heel, but God's people under their messianic king crushing the head. And this is what you see in Revelation 19. I mean, the interesting thing here in chapter 39, down in uh, verse 17, it says here, you know, son of man, this is what the sovereign Lord yes. says, call out to every kind of a bird and to all the wild animals, assemble, come together together uh, from all around the sacrifice I'm preparing for you, the great sacrifice on the mountains of Israel. There you will eat uh, flesh and drink blood. You will eat uh, the flesh of mighty men and drink the blood of the princes of the earth. I, I mean, it's pretty gruesome mm. uh, stuff, but this is almost exactly Revelation yeah, chapter 19, right. yeah. where, you know, the angel you know, cries out to all the birds that uh, there it says, you know, the, and the angel cried out to the birds in the air, come and gather together for the great feast of the Lord, yeah. that you may eat the flesh of kings and generals and mighty men. And it's it's almost taken exactly lifted yeah. Yeah, from exactly here. from this. Mm-hmm. So this is referring to, if you put those two together, these chapters, th- there's so much alignment that I think we can, it's important to take these chapters as Pointing ultimately to something, uh, to something future, a a kind of final showdown. Now, you know how you interpret that, and when this is, there are differences about (laughs) that. We won't talk about that now. But this is a very important thing that is anticipated throughout the Old Testament. Is that what is God going to do? What is God's going to response? 
going to be to all of the evil that's being done uh, in the earth, remembering that this is a people that have suffered terrible, terrible things in, in living in their living memory, that the, the trauma of the evil that's been inflicted upon them. Yep. Even, of course, though they, they themselves are not exempt. No, that's right. From having committed certain well, evils. And even goes on to say, you know, that yeah. so the world will know it's because of their evils. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that they were exiled. Yeah, exactly. There, there's this question of this final, you know, final decisive defeat of all, you know, mm. of all evil. That This is part of the judgment that that is the great hope of biblical prophecy it's part yeah. of that you know yeah. it's it's there's a sense of the the cleansing of the earth and the reestablishment of god's perfect order and that's what this is uh, looking forward to and then pretty much that perfect order is now after that is depicted in the remaining chapters of Ezekiel from chapter 40 onwards you get the perfection of that order described in terms of this Perfectly symmetrical yeah, temple. temple. Yeah. It's actually uh, this perfectly square temple, but that's we'll we'll come we'll to talk that. about that yeah, uh, yeah. Th- that uh, next week. But you know, I think as we close to you, you know, important reminder that you know, as you read these uh, these you know chapters thirty six and thirty seven, mm. uh, recognize we are in. This is the period that we are in. Yes, you know, we're, we're in an exciting period, and God is at work. But let's also remember this period is temporary. Mm. You know, th- mm. there is there is coming a, a day of judgment, a return of Christ, and the establishment of God's perfect order. We have so much to look forward to. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thrive Deeper. Our home on the internet is thrivetoday.tv. You can contact us, ask questions, see all our resources and much more at our website, thrivetoday.tv. We really appreciate the questions and thoughts about what you're reading as we go through the Bible with Thrive. Until next time, our prayer is that these shows will inspire you to go deeper and thrive. 